Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The Journey, a 16-week odyssey of grit, determination, endurance, and will, where the weak are exposed and the strong revered. From Bleave Entertainment, this is Falcon's Flight. Insights and analysis on your Atlanta Falcons. Now, here's Robert Taylor and your host, Brian Giffen. It is Falcons Flight, edition number 23, Brian Giffen, and the band is back together. Robert Taylor back in the house after holidays, after technical upgrades, after all of these things. And we will put the bow, quickly I might add, on what was a fairly dismal 2020 season. Coming up in a couple of moments, our buddy Scott Johns from the Atlanta Falcons will join us. And obviously, the fact that they finished 4-12 and really doesn't matter that much or isn't that much different than them finishing 5-11. and 11. So we're not going to worry too much about how the season ended. We all know that change is in the offing. And a silly season that many would argue got silly three, four, five weeks into the year, of course, is fully underway as the NFL offseason in terms of the teams that fired coaches, etc. That carousel is already well underway. And, of course, at the top of that list for us is the Atlanta Falcons. We remind you before we get to all that, the Super Bowl is right around the corner. If you're looking to place a bet on any of the sports going on, betonline.ag is the best and only place to lock it in. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag, A-G, and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Well, as mentioned, Brian Giffen, Robert Taylor, and joining us via the telephone is our buddy Scott Johns, who, of course, works for the Atlanta Falcons and has for several years. And, guys, we lead this off. There was word leaking out early this morning the Falcons have made an offer to Arthur Smith to be the next head coach, and that could happen as early as, you know, the next couple of days. Now that the Titans, of course, where he's the offensive coordinator, are eliminated from the playoffs, They've interviewed a number of people. There are a lot of cautionary tales where it comes to hiring a head coach. There are. You remember when Adam Gase was the flavor of the month, not once, but twice. Eric Mangini at one point, flavor of the month. The list goes on and on. There's a lot more that goes into succeeding as a head coach in an organization like pro football where every team is uber talented, all of these things, than just X's and O's. And the right fit, the right culture, everything has to kind of fall into place all at once. And we're still pending a GM search here. Yeah, I can say I like. I guess I don't. I can't say the hire. He has been offered the job, but I'm glad they didn't go with the sexy pick, the flavor of the month pick, which everybody knows is Eric Bieniemy. He's not an unknown, but again, time is the key here. We'll see if it's the right move or not. But I'm not going to be that typical armchair Atlanta fan that's going to you know go off on a tangent and compl- they're going to be people complaining about this hire all over Twitter and everything. And I'm Who just doesn't complain about everything these days. Yeah, you know I sent out some tweets and stuff talking to our followers, and I said, hey, no matter who it is, let's welcome them with open arms and optimism, and let the Atlanta Falcons, Rich McKay, Arthur Blank, any other brass that may be involved with this, do what they do. Let's do our part as fans, be supportive, get behind the hire. And then, hey, you know what? Three, four, five seasons down the road, we'll see where we're at. Speaking of open arms, let's welcome Scott Johns with open arms. And Scott, appreciate you joining us, man. As always, we are a week later than we thought we might have you just because of technical circumstances and, of course, prior to that, the holidays. But great to have you on board as always. You wouldn't know yet because none of this is official, but what are your thoughts on the word that Arthur Smith is likely to be the guy? 
Well, Brian, I think you said it best, and then Rob as well. I mean, that was well said. You got to welcome a, a guy like this with a resume of this caliber with open arms. You have to let him do his thing. In your life, there are a lot of things that go into the success of a head coach, and you just have to hope that the philosophy's intact, that he's bringing in the right culture, and most importantly, the right system. I mean, you're going to have, in my opinion, a guy that's had success. He knows how to run a football team. And I think that the upside is tremendous here. It's always going to be met with some level of skepticism by the fan base and by armchair GMs, but they're not the ones making the decision. I, I tend to drown those guys out. Their opinion, I don't mean this in a crude way, but their opinion means less than nothing. you got to trust that Arthur Blank and Rich McKay and that staff, they're doing the right thing. and They've done their homework on a guy like this, and there's a reason that he's the choice over you know, everybody else they've interviewed. I like the pick. Seven guys were interviewed. Of course, Raheem Morris, who occupied the job on an interim basis. Eric Bieniemy, who Robert and I have talked a lot about. You as well. Robert Saleh, who since has accepted the job with the New York Jets. Good luck up there. Arthur Smith, who we're talking a lot about. Nathaniel Hackett. Joe Brady, which was an intriguing one to some extent. And Todd Bowles. But, Scotty, one of the things that Rob and I talked about, and you heard it in the open while we had you on hold, there is a flavor of the month element to head coaches. And I gave some examples. Eric Mangini is one of them, certainly over the years. Adam Gase has been one twice. Way back, Dick Geron was another one. Let's face it, I mean, the road is littered in history with guys who have been the next great thing as a head coach, and for whatever reason, organizationally, personnel, otherwise, it hasn't worked out. So there's always a cautionary tale here, and there's a reason these guys are replaced all the time. Well, yeah. I mean, you you look at the way that you know these hires are usually made, and it's usually made in haste. And that's one thing that Arthur Blank and his staff and, of course, Chris McKay said, look, we're going to get this right. We're not going to pick a guy just because he's popular. We're going to do our due diligence. We're going to look into his background. We're going to look into his references and things like that because you'd be surprised how much weight the word of other coaches and, and executives around the league carry. And Arthur Smith came highly regarded. I mean, he's someone that they trusted to kind of change the dynamic of this team, you know, to a, to a positive one, quite frankly. It's tough because you get these flavor of the week, as you say, and it's tough because Dan Quinn was one of those. But Dan Quinn yeah, ended yeah. up, of course, he found early success. I mean, he, he really did. I mean, we got off to a hot start in his first year. Of course, we didn't maintain. We ended up missing the playoffs. But the very next year, you know, we're in the Super Bowl. So he had some success. I don't think he adapted to the league and the way the league was evolving. And that's one of the things in your process you have to look and say, hey, it's probably a pretty prominent question in the interview process where you go, hey, you know, as this league evolves, how do you evolve with it and how have you done so in the past? And I think his track record obviously speaks for itself. But I've said this for years, foresight from a coaching and ownership perspective in the NFL creates contenders. You have to adapt and not be so entrenched in your own philosophies and beliefs in this league and be able to evolve with the rest of the league and, you know, figure out how to keep winning if things are changing around you. So, Scott, I got to tell you, this last Tuesday you missed out. This is a little side note. At about 7.45 on Tuesday, I pulled a nice, fresh, hot blackberry cobbler out of the oven. <laughs> and I said to myself, Scott Johns is going to love this. And I walked out there and you weren't there. So I thought about you. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Well, I appreciate the thought, man. Is there anything that you've heard or anything you know about Arthur Smith as a leader and what kind of culture is he going to build in Atlanta? Can you shed some light on that for us, maybe? Fun fact about Arthur Smith, his dad is the founder and CEO of FedEx. Arthur was pretty much born a billionaire. I mean, he's coaching in the NFL because he loves to coach. That's his passion. He doesn't need it. He's quite frankly set for life, but he loves the game so much that he's decided to make that his life's work. And, and I'll tell you this, from what I understand, and we got to work with the Titan staff season before last, they're a gritty bunch, especially on the offensive line. They kind of subscribe to the notion that you have to bring in some offensive linemen that are just road graders and, and maulers, mean dudes. And I like that because what that does is well, it does two things. It gives you a running game if you have the right back, which I think that's going to be a focus. And I think he's going to insist on protecting Matt Ryan. The cool part about what Arthur Smith gets to do, and it was probably, a, I would say, it's pretty compartmentalized as far as the interview went, because what he had to do was break it down into the next two years, and then, of course, after that two years. And the two years I'm referring to is what's left on Matt Ryan's contract. I wouldn't call it the dilemma, but here's the situation that he's facing. Arthur Smith has got to find a way to build this team of course, on the defensive side of the ball, and there certainly, and I'm sure we'll get into this at a later date, but there are a lot of holes on the defensive side of the ball that Arthur Smith really has to look at, evaluate the roster and the talent, 
and some of the prospects coming out of college and free agents and all these things. And he's got to find a way to fit him into his system and let go of some guys, bring in some guys that are going to be system fit. And then on the offensive side of the ball, he's got to figure out how to build up the offensive line to establish a run game because that's his philosophy. That's what he likes to do. He likes to run the ball effectively and set it up with play action, which, of course, is one of Matt's strengths. Matt's got two seasons left. Somewhere in this next two years, whether it's this year, whether it's next, you've got to find a quarterback that's going to succeed him. With that said, I think you have to ride with Matt for the next two years and build around him in order to succeed. Because let's be honest, we're not, you know, Arthur Blank didn't hire, or he's not hiring Arthur Smith to win in two years or even three years. He's hiring him to win now. So the plan is how do we slowly tear down this roster and rebuild it back up and eventually replace Matt Ryan? So there are a lot of moving parts here, but I think he's the guy for it because he built his entire offense around the strong running game and the play action pass. And my, if I had to guess, and I've heard some rumblings of this, I think on the defensive side of the ball, he's going to bring in a guy that's probably going to be pretty experienced on the defensive side of the ball. Don't be surprised if we bring in Wade Phillips or someone like that as a CC because you've got to have intense focus on both sides of the ball in order to get this thing rebuilt. So you once again have hired a coach before you've even hired a general manager. I'm not saying that's the wrong approach. The leading candidates, candidates, I should say, in the clubhouse right now appear to be former Texans GM Rick Smith and or Terry Fontenot from the New Orleans Saints, who, of course, they can't really have discussions with until the Saints are eliminated from the playoffs. But Rick Smith is an intriguing one. A lot of people know a lot about him. He, of course, was the GM of the Texans and built them into an AFC South champion. But... You know, for every move where you go draft a J.J. Watt, there's also the element of, well, you hired Bill O'Brien. So I would suggest, you know, you always balance what accomplishments are with which ones didn't work, and it's not an exact science. I say it all the time. Winning is hard. Yeah, so the way the league's evolved, in my opinion, I think you have to get the head coach first. What a head coach brings in with his staff is he brings in a culture, a philosophy, and, of course, a system. And I mentioned earlier that, in my mind, that's the most important element of it all. The identity of a football team comes from the head coach. It doesn't come from the general manager. So when you're interviewing both, you're interviewing general managers as, as well as head coaches, you decide on your head coach, but you're looking back at the interviews with these general managers over time. And, and what you're getting is you're going to find the support that the head coach needs because the general manager role, in my opinion, other than, you know, obviously the duties of balancing the books and doing all the things, you know, with the salary cap and all that, I think a general manager's role has slowly but surely become in this league a support role for the head coach and his vision. So when the head coach brings in that vision, you have a general manager right behind him helping him build the roster based on that vision and his system and all the moving parts that go into that. Finding the right linebackers on defense, finding the right safety. Well, Quinn pretty much brought his philosophy over from Seattle. So he came in and, and he told Thomas Dimitrov, hey, here are the players that I'm looking for. Here are the fits that I need. So he brought in his version of Cam Chancellor and, and Keanu Neal. So they basically get together and they put their heads together and the, the head coach and his staff say, look, these are the players that I'm looking for. Let's go get them. And, and the job of the general manager to, to help him build the roster as he sees fit and, and of course, surrounding him and his staff's vision. So in my opinion, Brian, I mean, it, like you said, there's no real right answer, right? Because we don't get paid to do this stuff. But my interpretation of the way the organizations run from the top is that GM spot is a very, very involved support role for the overall vision. I know Arthur Blank came out not too long ago, and he said, you know, whoever we bring in as a GM and a head coach, it's important that they have kind of the same vision of what it takes to build a championship franchise. That being said... Let's crystal ball it for a minute and do some hypotheticals. Who do you want or who do you think as they start putting pieces together? I want to talk offensive coordinators, and I want to talk that first draft pick. Break that down for us, if you will. Well, as far as the offensive coordinator, I think it's hard to know exactly who he's going to get. Someone that obviously is very like-minded. I think the candidates for OC will emerge in the next probably the next two or three days because that hire is usually made pretty quickly. In his mind, he's already pretty much picked his guy and He's probably got two that he's mowing over if I, in the pure speculation. As far as top draft pick, to be in that position, to be in that war room, 
and to have say would be quite the process. There's a difference in who I want and who I think will get, who the common sense pick would be. To have foresight in this league, obviously, is, is very important. And some would argue, and, and the argument can be made for both my scenarios here, but looking at quarterbacks, if a guy like Zach Wilson from BYU is sitting there, who I really like, I think that kid is going to be a superstar in the NFL. I think if he's sitting there, it's very hard to pass on. But again, we're in a, in a win-now league, so the conundrum becomes you pick a guy that's going to help us win in two or three years when that inevitably leaves us, or you pick a guy that's going to bring a pass rush to the equation and, and help us screw up that front four and not have to send our linebackers to get pressure because that was the case all year last year. So it's, it's really, it, you know, it just depends on what his vision is for the future personnel-wise with this team. And look, I'm all for getting a quarterback if you if the right guy sitting there. But don't get a quarterback for the sake of getting a quarterback. We don't know how the top three is going to shake out, and that's really, I think, going to ultimately decide who we take. Because, you, of course, you know it's a foregone conclusion that Trevor Lawrence is going to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think he's probably the safest quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck back in 2012. And then you've got Fields that will probably go number two, but who knows? It's the Jets, and the Jets are very, very inconsistent. I don't want to trash a team that's already <laughs> laying face down in the gutter, but it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. And, of course, and here's the thing, and we fall victim to this every year. Smoke and mirrors from these GMs. You're going to hear reports in the coming weeks that the Jets are very, very interested in Sewell, the tackle from Oregon. And you're going to hear that they're interested in Justin Fields. And you're going to hear all these reports, and none of that means anything. Because at the end of the day, they're not going to release who they're really interested in because they don't want other people, especially behind them, to be able to to organize their draft board accordingly. So sorry to get so long-winded on this topic, but it's going to be really, really interesting to see who's sitting there on the Falcons' big board when the number four pick rolls around. And not to, throw, not to muddy the water, but who's willing to trade up to give us more picks? Maybe someone moves from the mid-teens or the low-20s, and then all of a sudden we have someone's you know 20th overall pick and next year's first and this year's second. A lot can be done in the draft, but with a new coach, I think that number four pick is of great value. There's the old adage that you kind of are what your players make you. And obviously the Titans' offense is very run-centric, but when you have a beast like Derrick Henry, why wouldn't it be? That not only was really the bell cow of their offense, but it also enabled Smith to take a guy like a Ryan Tannehill that came from a bad organization and maybe some maturity plays into this as well, but they got good protection in front of him. They got a great running game behind him that you feature, and that really made him an effective quarterback. But it's all about having those pieces to be able to play the game that way. Yeah, you know, we talked about this in the last call I was on, Brian, and you're absolutely right. It's funny what the right system can do for a quarterback. It's incredible. So you take a guy like Ryan Tannehill, he was considered a bust when he was in Miami, and then all of a sudden his career got revitalized in Tennessee. I mean, it was great. And I truly believe that his ability to get the most out of Ryan Tannehill was big. And I'll tell you what that was built off of, and it's no surprise, their philosophy and the way they envisioned it came to fruition beautifully. Because you think about the way they wanted to do things. They've got three good wide receivers, not great, but they've got three good wide receivers. They've got a good quarterback in Tannehill, but they've got a very, very good offensive line and probably the best running back in the NFL. And It's not probably. He is the best running back in the NFL. So the way they were able to see that through is they said, all right, Ryan, here's how we're going to revitalize your career and give you success. We're going to run the ball very, very effectively to where teams have no choice but to load the box with eight, and then you're going to be throwing against a lot of one-on-one coverage. And that worked wonders for him because you think about last year in 2019, he was the highest-rated quarterback in the NFL. That's not an accident that he was the highest-rated quarterback in the NFL. And this year, he throws for 33 touchdowns and seven interceptions. Those are Pro Bowl numbers, and that's two seasons in a row. It's not a fluke. Look, is Ryan Tannehill better than Matt Ryan? I don't think so at all. So just imagine what Arthur Smith's going to do when he comes in here and he's got a healthy Julio Jones because I think his rehab will be very, very high on the priority list this year in terms of his personnel. Calvin Ridley, we all know what that kid can do. He's incredible. And then Russell Gage, who is a number three, quietly put up very, very good numbers, better than most number two. And then, oh, by the way, you've got a guy named Hayden Hurst, who's a fantastic red zone target. So he's probably chomping the bit right now. In his mind, Art Smith's going, hey, all I've got to do is revitalize this offensive line, bring in the right philosophy as far as my, you know, my play calls, the right system, and we're back in it. I think it's going to be a really interesting ride with him because I think he gets it. He knows that this is the place that a lot of offensive-minded coordinators and offensive-minded coaches wanted to be because you've got so many weapons at the skill position here that you're going to be able to pretty much run whatever system you want. But the, the real key to all this is finding the right running back. 
Do we trade back and, and get Najee Harris? Do we get a guy like Travis Etienne from Clemson? It's going to be something that he's really focused on finding not just a guy, but the right guy as a running back. Because you've seen what that can get you if you have a guy that people have to account for on every single play like they did Henry up, up in Nashville. You don't think Todd's the guy, huh? Yeah, for somebody. You know, Todd was a, a shell of himself. And, and you know, look, he had a lot of injuries. He had a lot of things he was dealing with. And not only that, but he was running in a system that wasn't very running back friendly. Todd could absolutely go to a team like the Arizona Cardinals or somewhere like that and, and succeed in the right system. We didn't do him any favors this year. Dirk Cutter doesn't, he's very stubborn. He doesn't like to run the ball out. He's not very imaginative when it comes to running the football. So it's, Todd was kind of doomed from the get go here. Whoever the running back, whoever the feature back here in Atlanta next year is going to have, I would imagine, an improved line. And of course, a much firmlier running back system to run in. So I don't think it's fair to judge Todd off the year that he had. I mean, he still scored nine touchdowns and none in his last seven games, unfortunately. But I think there's something to be said about the overhaul that we're about to see here, and, and hopefully we get the right guy. I, I don't know why, but I think Najee Harris is going to be his target. Again, that's, that's speculation, but you got to think a physical running back like that kind of reminds you of a Derrick Henry, and if that's the case, hey, you've got that final ingredient to really make some hay here in Atlanta. You know, there are cautionary tales on that, too, though. If you're going to draft very highly and take a running back, great example is Jonathan Taylor, who exploded for the Colts this year. And, of course, people knew who he was when he was drafted, but he certainly wasn't taken in the first round. But he was a very effective runner. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a marquee or a top-of-the-draft type of guy to really give you the effective running game. It's got to be the right kind of weapon in the right system. Yeah. Do you think Alvin Kamara would have gone to any other team other than New Orleans and succeeded the way he did? I have a hard time believing he would have. I don't even know if you'd really know his name because Sean Payton, of course, and, and it's not really fair. Sean Payton, in my mind, is the greatest offensive mind in football, and I don't even know if it's close. But I think you draft the guys that you know are going to be system fit, and you, you do your due diligence, you, you research them, you watch a ton of people on them, you find their strengths, you find their weaknesses, and you draft accordingly. And you'd like to think that Art Smith's going to find a gem. Do you have to go spend a second-round pick or a, a late first-round pick on a guy like Najee here? Probably not. But you would like to think that he's going to go find a guy late in the third round or whatever the case may be. But you're right, Brian. I mean, sometimes it's more important that the offensive line and the system, I've repeated this three times in the last five minutes, but it's so important to find A, road graders that can move linemen and linebackers to the sidelines and then you know, of course, finding a running back that can that can run beyond them because it's not. I mean, you look at perfect example, and, and I know we're spending a lot of time talking about Alabama running back. Think about Trent Richardson and how good he was in Alabama. Yeah. His biggest weakness in, in, the, in the pros, especially in Indianapolis, he couldn't find a hole to save his life, and it was so frustrating for those fans up there because he was he was just constantly missing the cutback lane and all that. There's going to be some really good prospects at the draft with with all eyes on them, you know, the combine. And they say this is a deep running back class, so you have to think that probably not going to be Najee, but hey, don't be surprised if we go get a third running back in the draft in the third round because we don't know what he's looking for exactly, but you got to put an emphasis on it because, and I hate to say this, and I love Edo Smith, but he's not the guy. He's not our every down back. He's certainly a third down back. I think he's going to be a guy that can, can catch footballs and all that, and I think he has a place on this roster. But I think the starting running back is going to come out of this draft. Probably running back more than any position in the league. Of course, you know, you're looking for speed, power moves, all the things that are measurable. But instinct, instinct is probably as important at that position. That speaks to what you were just talking about with cutback lanes and the like. So, you know, having the right instinct in a guy and the ability and the knowledge and that peripheral vision to know when to hit the cutback lane and also having that burst step where you see the opening, and like Emmett Smith was, not an especially fast guy, you see the opening and you're gone through it before anybody can touch you. And instinct is just an important intangible where it comes to running backs. Well, Scotty, let's shift our attention now to around the league a little bit. We talked about the silly season, and yeah, it's been pretty silly everywhere. I, for one, was a little surprised from the what-have-you-done-for-me-this-year department that the Eagles fired Doug Peterson, but a lot of things happening around the league 
And, of course, some openings already filled. Adam Gase, everybody knew he was dead man walking, long since gone, second time. Now, he'll probably land somewhere as a quarterback, as a receiver's coach, and try to fight his way back. I wonder if he's called Nick Saban. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Nick Saban's the coach <laughs> reputation repairer. Bring in Bill O'Brien. That was announced yesterday. Yeah. But, but what are your thoughts on some of the things around the league? So Things that did surprise you, things that didn't surprise you, and just some thoughts on the state of the league as we uh, sit here in the silly season still mid-playoffs. Well, Peterson getting fired was a surprise, and I think what really cost him his job is that Week 17 debacle, you know, playing the Redskins. He gave that game away on purpose. He put Nate Sudfield in, and that was the dagger. That ended his career in Philly. It doesn't matter if you've won a Super Bowl. You do something like that on the national stage, ownership's not going to take too kindly to it. So, I think Peterson's going to be a head coach again this year, and it just depends on who's willing to give him a shot at it, because he has won a Super Bowl in recent history. One would argue that Frank Reich was the stir stick there, but the right situation could get him right back into the right position. Adam Gates, I mean, we all knew he was going to leave. It kind of gives young play callers in this league offensively a bad name. It's going to make ownership weary of hiring guys like that, and I think it's a reason that Joe Brady hasn't been picked up yet. Those two were very reminiscent of each other. Great young play callers, but they're not all Sean McVay. Of course, McVay is the outlier there. How often do you get a guy that's in his early 30s that can come in and can impact like that? It's extremely rare, and I think in a position like Atlanta, you have to go with the right guy, not just uh, falling in love with a name because they're the flavor of the week. This is becoming a, a league that people are understanding more and more every year. You have to build the offensive and defensive lines and then build out from there. Of course, having the right quarterback and having the right running back in the field position and all that in a complete football team is important, but in my mind, it starts in the trenches. You look what Baltimore's doing, you look what Buffalo's doing, Kansas City, protect your quarterback and give your running back running lane. And as easy as that sounds, as lame as that sounds, it's the recipe for winning football. And now I think people are understanding that having the right quarterback behind a bad line gives you nothing. And I think that that's going to be the new philosophy for a lot of teams moving forward. You think about the days of drop-back passers, Tom Brady, like Drew Brees, of course. Those guys are still in the, in the mix, of course, and I think they're the outliers. You look at the rest of the league as far as who's in the playoffs still, and the guys that can move, guys you can move the pocket, get them outside and throw on the run and all that. I think that's where football's going. It's going to be a really, really unrecognizable league from 20 years ago today and then 10 years from now. I think it's going to be an unrecognizable sport in terms of the way things are played. Zach Wilson is, you know, that's going to be a huge commodity coming in. And I think Trevor Lawrence, he can move. It's just the way the world's going. So all these new coaches, all these coaches that are coming in to make a name for themselves, all these established coaches, I think have one thing in common. And they realize that a quarterback that can move will be your best friend at the end of the season. That's my takeaway from this entire crazy season is getting a guy that can move. They're not all going to be Lamar Jackson, let's be honest, but just mobile enough to get out when the play breaks down. That's the future that I'm looking forward to watching in the NFL, and I can't wait to see it transpire. So I guess arguably the biggest news in the NFL maybe, or the, probably the hottest story, the sexiest story, we got a guy down in Jacksonville going back down to the Sunshine State, Urban Meyer. What's your gut tell you? My gut tells me he ain't going to cut it. Yeah, it's very intriguing. Very seldom does a college coach ever come in and, and really make noise. Urban's a good coach, but what made him a great coach at Ohio State and even Florida, he was a great recruiter. Does that translate into being a guy that can draft effectively? I don't know that the talent evaluation is the same. I do believe, though, he's going to have a leg up on most first-year head coaches because he is going to have Trevor Lawrence. And then they have two first-round picks this year. You can go get the receiver of your choice, too. You can kind of build it out that way and hope for the best. My gut tells me he's not going to succeed down there because you've seen the story play over and over and over again, and you have to wonder what's going through content, the owner down there in Jacksonville. Why would you go do this instead of getting a guy that, you know, that's been established, like an Art Smith, to mentor this generational talent that you have coming in and Trevor Lawrence? It's a real head-scratcher. Rob, to be honest with you, I don't understand it, but who knows? Word on the street, too, is that Scott Linehan is likely, or at least rumored to be, who Urban brings in to be the offensive coordinator. And Linehan himself is one of these former flavor of the month type guys. You recall when he became the head coach of the Rams several years ago, has bounced around, has had his bumps, bruises, has been fired, rehired, all of this stuff. There's no guarantee that that's going to be a great fit either. Yeah, Linehan's a guy that I think he's that, that element that I just spoke about. You know, a guy that's been in the league for a long time, he's going to bring that presence and that experience. 
to mentor Trevor Lawrence, and, and it could be a good fit. I think they're going to kind of share some of the responsibility as far as the system and all that goes. But you have to bring in a guy that knows the league and knows how the league operates in order to set Trevor up for success. Are there better candidates that could have been chosen? Probably, but that kind of swings towards the fact that maybe this is, you know, it's kind of a good old boy system where you bring in your friends and guys you're really familiar with because it's a comfortable thing to do and you don't want to reach too far because it's dangerous and it's, it's such a scary proposition, but I don't know. So the things that I've heard, you know, over the years since he came out of the West and came down to Florida and had success, had success at Ohio State, just listening to the radio, ESPN, news articles, blah, 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 all the like and this is why I think he won't be successful, is that they all say that X's and O's, you can't argue. He's a football coach. But as a motivator and a leader, he's a rah-rah guy, and rah-rah guys do not go over well in the NFL because you're looking at a room full of men and they just kind of raise an eyebrow and go, can they get out of here with that? And he's also, you know, just from what I've heard, I don't know Urban Meyer, obviously, but that he's a do-your-job-or-I'll-yell-at-you guy. And that also, too, doesn't really go over very well. And, and that song and dance tires really quickly among players and people. And I think he's doing this to feed his ego. I think Urban Meyer, in, in my opinion, and, I, and notice what I said, people, opinion is one of the most egomaniacal coaches that has ever walked the face of the planet. He's really flaked out on every job he's ever had, if you think about it. With Florida, Ohio State, when the tough gets going, he leaves. And what makes you think it's going to be any different in Jacksonville? Rob, you're probably right. I, I can't see him having success down there. I mean, I hope for Jacksonville and their fans' sakes that, you know, that's not true. But you really got to wonder if this is anything more than a PR stunt. Very early on, too, in the tenure of the owner down there, indications are that he's not necessarily the best owner either. Cautionary tales in two fronts here. Nick Saban, when he went to the Miami Dolphins, Stephen Ross, not really known as one of the better owners around the league. Daniel Snyder, when he hired Steve Spurrier, there are cautionary tales for guys that carry the same kind of legacies as Urban Meyer failing at the pro game, but both those prior instances relate as much to meddlesome and or too hands-on of owners, and hence the results. Both guys left and left in a hurry. Yeah, it's a great comparison. Those are almost identical situations. Now, the only difference might be neither of those guys had franchise quarterbacks, and I think Trevor's going to give him an advantage in that regard because you think when Coach Saban was in Miami, he had Dante Culpepper yeah. was the guy that was coming in. Remember, they could have had Drew Brees and yes. opted for Culpepper instead. Yeah, Parcell said, yeah, gut feeling that Brees wasn't going to make it, but of course, Sean Payton probably should write him a thank you letter <laughs> for that. But it's going to be fun to watch for sure. That, that you know, they're going to steal the headlines in the summer when your first overall pick comes in. It's Trevor Lawrence and the pressure face of the NFL. You know, in that regard, and of course, Urban Meyer just being the figure that he is. I guarantee most of what you're going to hear is from down there in Jacksonville. And Colin's going to love it. Colin, the owner, is going to eat that up because he loves the spotlight. And to your point, Brian, he's not a good owner. He's not a good personnel guy. I think he's a good businessman, but that doesn't win football games. Fair to point out, too, that when Drew Brees was considered by Miami, he was coming off a shoulder surgery after leaving San Diego, and we all know how it turned out, but it is fair to point out that there was a lot of question about his future because of a shoulder operation. Well, Scotty, man, as always, we appreciate you, brother, and we will look forward, once some of these moves have been made and things really begin to crystallize, to talking to you again. I think once these hires are officially in place, we'll do a show next week and we'll do our best to reach out to you and see if we can bring you on board. Sounds good, guys. Thanks as always for having me. All right. Scott Johns of the Atlanta Falcons, as he's done all year, spending some time with us here on Falcons Flight. Brian Giffen with Robert Taylor. We will take a time out here. When we come back, we'll look ahead to looming decisions that, well, one about to be made, we think, and, of course, another large one on the horizon. This is Falcons Flight, a presentation of Believe Entertainment, and we're back to swirl some idiots right after this. Like in football, whether it's in business, recreation, or life, you need a game plan. Is your computer running slow? Is it infected with viruses or malware? Maybe you're a gamer and really want a custom-built computer specifically for gaming. Perhaps like us, you want a lightning-fast, state-of-the-art, solid-state drive to replace that clunky, old-school one in your machine. Your game plan for any of this should be Computers Plus. A lot of the components we use to produce and bring you Falcon's Flight have been upgraded or provided by Computers Plus. Computers Plus is located in Ackworth, Georgia at 3330 Cobb Parkway Northwest, Suite 154. But wherever you are, they can help. Stop in and see them. 
They also feature a full line of accessories and refurbished equipment. Give them a call today at 770-693-0769 or check them out at computersplususa.com. You'll be glad you did. Hey guys, it's a new year and every day is a fresh start for you to just live. Travis Pastrana here to tell you exactly why I teamed up with Clay Thompson, Alex Morgan, and Paul Rodriguez to launch our new wellness brand, Just Live. As professional athletes, we put ourselves through a lot, physically and mentally. So we found a Just Live around all-natural, THC-free CBD products. Being from the East Coast, I was pretty skeptical about CBD products, but as an athlete, it's easy to see when something works. And when my dad was at wit's end, living in a fog of painkillers, severe lack of sleep, numerous surgeries later, I recommended he try CBD. It allowed him to get an extra couple hours of sleep, and it made all the difference to get my dad back on his feet. So don't go another day with pain inflammation, or lack of sleep. I recommend trying Just Live today. These are products we fully trust and stand behind because we want you to be able to go out and just live. So get 20% off your order with code armchair at justlive.com. That's 20% off at justlive.com with the code armchair. What do you live for? Mr. Hardwood is Atlanta's premier flooring expert, but hardwood is just the beginning. Mr. Hardwood also installs laminate, tile, vinyl, carpet, and more. Your home is likely your biggest investment. Not only can you enhance its value with beautiful new floors, but our lifetime transferable warranty will enhance the value even more. If you stand on it, Mr. Hardwood stands behind it. Mr. Hardwood is committed to setting the industry standard for all your uniquely designed and professionally installed flooring solutions. Our number one goal is to exceed our customers' needs by providing value, quality, and exceptional service even after the sale. We take great pride in high-quality craftsmanship and integrity and are not satisfied until we have exceeded your expectations. Mr. Hardwood, Atlanta's flooring experts. To set up your free consultation, call Mr. Hardwood today at 770-318-8880 or go to mrhardwoodinc.com. It is Falcons Flight Edition 23 rolling on. Brian Giffen with Robert Taylor. Thanks again to Scott Johns of the Atlanta Falcons spending some time with us as we capsulize the silly season, which, you know, we've been well into since four or five weeks into the season. But, of course, uh, the NFL silly season is fully in swing, but even more so once the playoffs conclude after the Super Bowl. And we'll certainly, as we look ahead, have – audio for you as well as shows for you once these positions by the Atlanta Falcons are filled and we anticipate certainly that one maybe both of these vacancies will be filled by the time we sit down to do this show next week and if so we'll have Scotty back on we'll move through those and bring you some audio I think in all honesty and and again I'm on the outside looking in but I I would I think I could safely speculate that Rick Smith and Fontenot are, are the two guys. It's going to be one of those two guys. It looks that way, yeah. And I didn't get around to this with Scott, and I'll bring it up with him next time I see him, but for the show, the thing that, that stuck out to me the most when I woke up this morning, looked at my phone, you know, saw the news that they've offered the job to him. But the thing, so as I started, who is Arthur Smith? And, you know, he offensive line at UNC. He's yep. been on the defensive side, da-da-da-da-da. Ten years with the Titans, yeah. too, in one place. The FedEx thing was, was, was insane to learn that. But so the big thing that I liked that I don't ever recall reading about any other Falcons coaches of past is that Arthur Smith is kind of a Bill Belichick-type guy to where he coaches to the team's strengths. Sure. And he utilizes players and plays to their strengths. And that, to me, I like. I'm so glad Dirk Cutter is gone because if I had to hear Scott John say unimaginative <laughs> one more time, holy cow, I did, does that guy land somewhere else? Oh, I think so. I yeah. think, you know, the one thing about an offensive coach that's been a coordinator, a quarterback coach, all of those things, I think it's easy to see him taking on some kind of role as a, you know, an advisor to begin with and working his way back into it. Who knows? But. I mean, great example is, you know, Josh McDaniels in New England. I mean, he left and went to Denver and he failed and he still hasn't emerged as a leading candidate for one of these other roles. And that may be because behind the scenes, the Patriots have promised him whenever Bill steps aside, he would assume the mantle. Who knows? 
But as much as people criticize these coaches and the Twitterverse gets after them, there isn't a one of these coaches, personnel people, general managers, scouts, any of these people that don't know more about it than the vast majority of the people out there complaining about it. You know, I heard a local radio host, and I hate to even admit that I listened to one. I heard a local radio host not too long ago question Dabo Sweeney's football IQ. Really? So you're sitting in a radio studio, you've never worn a jock strap in your life, except perhaps over your face in some paranoid fantasy. I don't, I don't mean to go there. <laughs> shut the hell up. I mean, at what point do we get past the point that they're not experts either, but they're far closer to it than most of us are? And I think to be good in this role, we have to admit that right out of the box. We're offering opinions, some of those educated, some of those steeped in background around the game. But we still know far less than all these football people do, and every single one of them is highly qualified for the job. It's just always the right combination of personnel, philosophy, luck, breaks, all of those things. And I've always said that, and I try to stress that to Atlanta fans because I feel like they're some of the worst at it with their commentary and, and the I call them the Twitter coaches or you know, the social media coaches. Is you got to relax and let them do their job. They're paid to do this. Yeah. You aren't. And I've said this when we started this podcast. You know, hey, I'm just a fan. Did I play the game as a younger man? Yeah, I, I played a little football. I'm familiar with the game. I'm, of course. You know, but I'm a fan. And anything that I say really – I mean, there's certain fact-based things you can't deny, but anything I say is opinion. But the only thing – and to kind of backpedal a little bit, the only thing that makes me curious about Dirk Cutter is, is are other teams out there looking at the tools that he had – and he was not able to succeed. I mean, Matt Ryan, and I don't care what anybody out there says, he is a premier elite quarterback. Shut up. You're wrong. The numbers are there. But he's got a Julio Jones, a Calvin Ridley, a Hayden Hurst, and he was so I'm just wondering, are they like, wow, he couldn't he couldn't get anything out of that? You know, so but anyway, that's just kind of my thing, you know, feelings about Dirk Cutter. But that's one thing I want to stress to some of you Atlanta fans. If you can't get behind this hire, if you can't come into this with a sense of optimism, just get off the wagon, man. Keep your mouth shut because I don't recall Arthur Blank calling you and asking him who they should hire, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, so just get behind this guy. Get behind the team, the new culture, all that. Support him. But I know as soon as I get on Twitter later and we start talking about it, there's going to be some turd on there who thinks he knows better than Rich McKay and Arthur Blank. And it just makes me laugh now. Yeah. Now I just. I just giggle, but, you well, know. In the Twitter era, man, we live in a world where there are more experts that don't know squat than at any time in our history. Yeah. And look, you know, I've broadcast the game a long time, certainly like you, played the game, into college, all of that stuff. But I'm still a fan, like you just said a little bit ago. And we're analyzing this from the outside, even though we, to some extent, cover the team and, and are paying attention to all the nuances and all the things going on. We're still speculating like everybody else is. It just struck me very negatively that some armchair guy in a radio studio would question a national championship, great program building coaches, football IQ. Yeah. Really? Come on, man. And that, and that's why I don't listen to Atlanta sports <laughs> radio. But another it hasn't gotten any better, by yeah. the way. We're going we're gonna to change that, though. We're going to get this podcast off the ground big time because Arthur's going to help us out and improve this team. But I didn't get to say this when we were on the subject, but what do you think the over-under is that when the seas down there in Jacksonville get a little choppy, old Urban goes, <coughs> <laughs> I don't feel so well. You know, honestly. My health is, I don't know. Yeah. I got to get out. <laughs> Earlier this year, I mean, and last year, we saw on a, another podcast that we had, we speculated that John Gruden was going to miss the broadcast booth. Early this year, it looked like the LV Raiders had turned the corner, but then late in the year, they stepped in something after turning the corner, and yeah. their season basically flattened out. So I don't know how long he is for that gig either, although they're paying him an awful lot of money, and he does work for that little pumpkin pie haircutted freak. Well, they gave him a 10-year deal, too. <laughs> Do you know how much it would cost to buy him out? I think it was $100 million. Yeah, and, and another thing, too, I can tell you exactly what happened to the Raiders. They stepped in, in Atlanta, and it, it, it snowballed from there. Yeah. That, that was the turn, of the, the turn of the tide there for the, for the Raiders, for sure. Well, all of that said, you know, we haven't done these, one of these, in a couple of weeks with holidays and technical upgrades and all this stuff. But, Robert, I notice you're not, well, you are wearing a watch. And, gosh, what time is it? It's my brand-new Apple Watch, and Siri has just told me it is swirly time. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> the Falcons' flight crew is intolerant of jackassery. 
There is a special place where morons are plunged headlong into a blue vortex of irony. And it's not Jacksonville. <laughs> where imbeciles are irrigated, dumbasses are drenched, and abject idiocy rinsed away. Where pompous assery comes face to face with porcelain. Where chlorine, tidy bowl, and bleach administer swift, swirling justice. This is our Game of Thrones, where mindsets and hairstyles are forever altered. It is the Falcon's Flight Swirly segment. Now let's get this party started. Ah, yes. It has been too long. We had to dust it. Yeah. We have polished the handle. Put some fresh water in there and, yeah. a, and a brand new, uh, the little... A cake. Yeah, what are they, uh, what was the a thing? stick uh, on. 2,000 flushes. <laughs> yeah, and you know, where we're going today, 2,000 of them may still not be enough. Yeah. Now, I don't know where you are on this, but I'll start this off. And we're going to go not very far from here geographically, just to our neighboring state in South Carolina, where a South Carolina councilwoman was indicted on public corruption charges for using government credit cards to book pricey trips, including one to Newark, New Jersey, in order to stalk NBA Hall of Famer Magic Johnson. The 24-count indictment was issued by the state grand jury Thursday against Richland County Council Vice Chairwoman Dolly Myers. Governor Henry McMaster suspended her from her office last Friday. Most of the charges against 52-year-old Myers were for illicit use of her county credit card, according to State Grand Jury Division Chief Attorney Creighton Waters. The grand jury later found Myers lied about the expenses on the cards and said the trips to Greece and Northern Illinois University were to learn about local government. <laughs> in actuality, she was vacationing overseas and attending a relative's graduation at the school. I'm not even going to quote her because it's just not even worth doing. But she used the card to fly to Newark in hopes of speaking to former NFL player Richard Seymour and NBA Hall of Famer Magic Johnson about an undisclosed topic. Further details on the trip to Newark were not released, though Johnson was reportedly in the area in September of 2019 when he visited Newark Beth Israel Medical Center. He has a food service contract, his company does, with the hospital. Here's the best part. Myers said she would reimburse the county for the expenses in a $27,000 check, but later changed her mind saying that county officials should have been monitoring the card. Oh, so it's their fault. When officials tried to cash the check, it bounced twice. The news outlet said Myers reportedly surrendered to authorities last Friday. Oh, my. Hey, Dolly, you're in the swirler, by golly. Get over here. That's it, boy. Get in there, nice What an idiot. Yeah. Don't nobody go in the bathroom for about 35, 45 minutes. Or longer. Somebody open the window. You see the peanut? Dead giveaway. And I think in this case, Dolly was most decidedly the peanut. Yeah, nothing surprises me anymore. Like, and I'm serious, man. I'm just a Joe Schmo, you know. I'm a podcaster, so I don't know any more than the next guy. And I don't claim to be any smarter than the next guy. But the lack of common sense in American society today, like the I told somebody today, the average American, the average individual American person in the world today is a freaking moron man i don't know what happened is it in the air are they <laughs> and we got more something? resources at our fingertips than we've ever had yeah, instantly man. available nobody was watching the card uh, so that makes it okay yeah. to steal i guess yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, like, hey i ripped off twenty seven thousand dollars but since you weren't watching it's your fault yeah totally cool man no no no, no. it's your it's your man. fault Let's, you know, pass the buck. Most Americans this, these days want to pass the buck onto someone else when they screw up. Unbelievable, you know? man. Anyway. Blame the accuser. Yeah. Just own it. You know what I mean? That's a phrase that everyone's heard. Own it, man. If you mess up, own it. <laughs> Accountability. But my swirl is slightly political, but not really. This is just another example of American idiocy. 
I'm swirling all the mouth-breathing crayon eaters that marched their little butts up to the Capitol, and once they got inside the building, just started committing crimes on camera, photo, video, everywhere. They're stealing podiums. The Chip Gaines guy that stole the podium, the buffalo wearing helmet guy that posed for photos, well, you know, people that are sitting behind these people's desks, the, the lady in the, the halls of Congress, the zip tie guy, all these people that just left behind such a huge digital footprint. They're committing crimes. These yeah. were crimes. You cannot storm the Capitol building. I mean, you can, but guess what's going to ha- And now they're all kind of just like, you mean I'm getting in trouble for that? You mean what? No, 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 wait, what? what? Oh, my, I mean, just how dumb do you, I mean, that, that's the classic oh. example right there. They were having a field day. You know what I mean? It's like when kids go knock over mailboxes. That's what was happening. Yeah. There's like people smiling with thumbs up and like, hey, you know, we're, oh, it was a party now? Like, just dumb. Like, they're, all these cases are just slam dunks, and they're going to yeah. get in, oh, my God, the, the zip tie guy, is, uh, his case is probably going to balloon up into some craziness. So, anyway, I can understand standing up for what you believe in and, and you know, fighting for what you believe in, but this was just absolute lunacy by a bunch of idiots. I, I'm, I'm almost speechless. So, you morons that went up there and committed crimes and left such a ridiculous digital footprint behind. You deserve you know, all the other dumb ki- you know, criminals we've swirled. You're in the Hall of Fame, boy. You, as soon as you walk in the dumb criminal Hall of Fame, there's a bust of all these morons because they are uh, legendary. Well, maybe they figured that so many other crimes have been committed in that building that yeah, have never right. been reported or prosecuted that they could get away with it too. Well, collectively, you're all going in the swirler. Get over here. Storm this. That's it, boy. Get in there nice and deep. The reason that bad things happen to you is because you're a dumbass. And I think Red put it pretty well right there. Well, that'll about wrap this edition of Falcon's Flight. This is episode number 23. We're thrilled to be back with you as we were out for a couple of weeks with holidays and some technical upgrades that had to be made here in the Big Play Media Studios, and we pulled all of that off, and here we are back. We will be back next week to bring you more about the Falcons' hires and the direction of the franchise moving forward, because a lot of that is going to take shape now in the next, well, anywhere from today later to certainly this time next week, and we'll be back to Capsule all of that for you and we'll bring scott johns aboard with his thoughts on all of it but for now that'll do it for edition 23 of falcons flight a presentation of believe entertainment the number one site for podcast professionals do you believe we certainly do for scott johns i am brian giffen he is robert taylor and we're thrilled to bring you this podcast every week we look forward to doing so again next week that'll do it for today we're out Thank you for listening to Falcon's Flight. Tune in throughout the season for updates, insights, and analysis on the Dirty Birds. Falcon's Flight is a production of Believe Entertainment. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.